0: Good morning, everyone. Good good to see you here today. Listen, we're starting something today that that I'm really excited about. It's something that has uh, um, actually been brewing in me for for several months now. What we're going to be doing the rest of the summer up until about Labor Day is a series of one-shot topics called Straight Talk. But a little bit more important than that title is what it says underneath, What Pastors Don't Preach. What we're doing the next several Sundays is taking a, a dozen or so of these one-shot topics that, that pastors just don't talk about a lot. And, and it's not so much because it's they're, they're uncomfortable talking about it or it's like some taboo topic. If you've come to FOF for any length of time, you know that's kind of like part of our standard fare. Um, it's things pastors don't talk about because they assume people already are on the same page. They assume people already know it. See, I, I bet there's a, a dozen things I could bring up right now that when, I say, that when I talk about it, I assume you know it, right? And the reality is you probably don't. Maybe it's terminology or vocabulary, Maybe it's when a word or a phrase or an idea comes up that we're sharing the same kind of undergirding, the same matrix, the same kind of point of view of looking at it, but in reality we're not. And so what this is about is unearthing those assumptions, kind of breaking things down to a fundamental level going, when we say this, this is what we mean. And hopefully together we, uh, we hear God talking and, and some cool things happen biggest assumption that I've seen church workers make, the biggest assumption that I've seen church workers make is that they think people think they're normal, okay? (laughs) Did you follow that, right? We assume that you think we're normal people, and uh, yeah, right, I'm I'm seeing the eyes, and I'm I'm hearing the snickers, and yeah, naive out there. Uh, This happens all the time. Um, You think you're friends with someone. But you realize the entire time it's been like, oh no, they've always kind of had the guard up because you're the pastor. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been a part of in. And when it comes up, what I do, or when I come into the social situation, everything closes down. Because everyone starts reviewing everything they just said. You know, it's like having a cop come over. What do we do here? Right? That kind of thing. I have found The greatest ambassador to normalcy in my ministry is my wife. There is something about the spouses of church workers. They just have this position and ability to bridge the gap. And that's what we're doing today. Confessions of staff members' wives. (laughs) We have three men on staff here at Fellowship of Faith, including myself, who are married. And our three wives are going to come up today and be ambassadors of normalcy. What they're going to be doing is sharing the reality that no matter how many times we say it, many people just won't accept that what you struggle with, we struggle with. The doubts and issues you face are the doubts and issues that we face. The temptations and sin that's a part of your life is the temptation and sin that's a part of ours. And so Mark's wife, Julie, and my wife, Tina, and Keith's wife, Jana, are going to be coming forward here to share with you some of their own journey, their own story, their own struggles, their own issues in a relationship with God. And my prayer is that through all of this, somehow you can kind of hear loud and clear Whatever you're feeling here today, whatever you're experiencing, we get it. And we're in the trench with you. And maybe you can hear God speaking to where you're at as well. So, would you uh, join with me and welcome them forward Julie, Tina, and uh, Jana? Good morning.
1: Um, so I'm Julie. I'm Mark's wife. He's the wor- worship pastor here, and um, you know, like Dave said, we are going to do confessions. It would be really fun and interesting to actually pull out our husband's dark and dirty secrets, but we're, we're not doing that. It's our own confessions today. We do, and, and therapy after, I think so. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, confessions of me, staff wife. Um, my confession is, I'm really angry. At God. And that may not seem like a big deal, but I've been angry with God since 2007, and I'm still kind of angry at him actually today. Um, before I get into the details, I want to show you one of my favorite verses. Um, I became a Christian at 10, and this verse sort of found me. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And as a 10-year-old, that's kind of easy to do. There's not a whole lot going on in your world. And um, as I went through my life and had situations that I had to handle and deal with, um, this verse became more and more of a strength to me and a lifeblood for me because I don't like to trust people, so trusting in the Lord with all my heart was hard. I grew up in kind of an abusive home, and so it, it wasn't something easy for me to do. It was a spiritual act to trust Him, leaning on His understanding and not my own I don't like that either. I I depend on my cognition pretty heavily. I like my mind. I like what I think and what I want. I think I'm pretty good at it. And so giving in and and leaning on God's understanding was also hard for me. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I'm pretty independent. I'm pretty stubborn. I think I do pretty good on my own. And so letting him make my path straight wasn't easy either. I liked my agenda. I liked the way that I wanted it done. So... As I went through different stages of my life, teenager, college, young adulthood, being a mom, um, this was something God kept bringing me back to. And it changed as I grew in my faith and as I faced struggles, this changed for me. So back to 2007, Mark and I lived in Bull Valley, and he worked at a church in Grays Lake. I was a chaplain at the Lake County Jail in Waukegan. Our kids were at a school in Lake Zurich. So our whole life was like east of Route 12. And we spent forever in the car. And we really had very few friends out by us. And so anything we did, we were going long distances for events and gatherings and getting together with friends. And it was getting harder on our family life. Um, So Mark would have these evening meetings at work, and he wouldn't come home during the week because it wasn't even possible for him to battle traffic, be with us, and go back. So we prayed a lot about the thought of, hey, let's move a little closer to where our life actually is. I went to this verse. God, what do you think? I want to trust you. I want to lean into you. I think it's a great idea, but I want you to guide us. And Mark and I both felt like he was. He was giving us a, a blessing, a permission to do this. So we broke ground in our home in Volo in February of 2007 we ended up closing in July of 2007, but if you remember, in between there, we had a housing market crash, and um, everything changed. We were the first wave of those victims, and before we moved, um, when we had put our house on the market, we were doing really well, actually, financially. Um, we had steward our... Mark had stewarded our money really well, (laughs) and um, we had a savings account, a good one. We had no debt at all, and um, we had equity in our house. I don't know if you guys remember that, but that used to be a thing. And so we thought, well, you know what, even if our house doesn't sell right away, we've got a couple months to carry two mortgages, we can do it. We've got the savings, and once the house sells and we get the equity back, We'll replace it. We'll be fine. Financial was the last worry on my mind in this process. So we're going through the months of the summer and going through the months, and our house is getting no showings, and it's not moving, and it's looking pretty grim. And I start getting kind of angry at God because we felt like this is what he called us to do. We're in ministry. We want to be together as a family. This is not a straight path. I had no idea what he was doing, but I I went back. Okay, God, I'm going to acknowledge you. My mind... I think I have a better way, but we're going to trust you. Let's keep going. So we did. We moved into our home. We put both homes on the market just to see maybe we heard wrong. Maybe one of them was supposed to sell. We're supposed to be in no showings for any of our homes. And through the months, we decided to be, I guess, responsible with the debt that we owed. And we paid both mortgages. We felt very strongly that that was the right thing to do. We'll come back around to March of 2008, and we're broke, and we short-sailed on our house. And not only that, but um, the terms of the short sale were such that we had to pay back some of what was still owed on the house. We were told it was a no-interest, long-term loan, which, okay, we again thought "This this is part of what we're responsible for. We'll pay this back. I was still pretty mad at God, though. Again, we had done all this work, we had tried so hard, and now we're in debt, we have no savings, and we're paying on a house we don't live in, we don't own. I-, I was pretty mad at him. Through this process, I kept trying to go back to this verse. It was really hard for me. I thought I was doing all of these things that this verse called me to do, and nothing was turning out the way that I thought God said it was going to turn out. Um, A couple months later, we wanted to refinance our new house. We'll come to find out that this loan that we had taken went directly into collections. We had thousands and thousands of dollars in debt against our credit that we didn't know about, so now we were stuck. We couldn't take out loans to refinance. We couldn't take out loans to help our kids with college. We were really stuck, and now I was pissed. Is that okay? Okay, yeah. I was really pissed, and um, this was not a straight path. This was not going well, and um, so God and I, we went round and round and round and round on this, and I finally said, you know what, I'm done, I'm done. I'm angry, you take it away. I can't make it go away. I've obviously got this wrong, so if you want my anger to go away, I'll leave it up to you, and I kind of thought I was tricking him. I kind of thought, yeah, that'll work, And and didn't. I was still mad for so long, So one day I was running, I was mad at God, and I was kind of praying, but I also was doing my eye roll, like, you don't really care anyway, you don't listen. I'll pray, but it's your agenda. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'll try. And he very kindly, very gently said to me, even if I never do anything good for you again, I am God. I am the creator of the universe, and you... Worship me because of me. Um, yeah, I didn't like that right away. That was kind of my, um, my own motive, my own mind. And, and we wrestled with that for a while. But um, as I tested this out with scripture, and especially with this verse, it, it played out to be accurate in my soul. That it doesn't matter if he answers my prayers. I want him to. But um, he is still God. And I offer respect. I don't have to like him all the time. I don't have to really be happy with it, but I offer him the respect that he deserves as my creator. This helped me in a lot of ways. In the past four years, um, there has been significant trauma in my life and in very close friends of mine, prayers that didn't get answered Dear friends who died of cancer, whose son died of a heroin overdose, suicide, death, job losses, hospitalizations, houses lost. I mean, month after month after month. And these were good prayers. These were prayers that were for, for really important things and God didn't show up. He didn't answer them the way we wanted. And so this verse means something different to me now something a little deeper and a little more powerful because I have to trust in the Lord with my heart in a different way than I used to, in a way that doesn't expect something back like what I think. And I have to lean on him differently. Um, I don't like to lean on people at all. In general, uh, my husband would agree with that. I, I like to do everything on my own. I had to do this in a different way. I had to acknowledge my inability in a different way. I had to acknowledge him and his straight path will probably never be what mine is. I won't ever understand why those prayers didn't go answered. But I can tell you that those years of anger at God and me working on it with him and getting through it allowed me to stay present in the past four years, to still stay connected to God, even though today I'm still angry with him. And um, he said that was okay.
2: I'm Jana Peters. I'm Keith Peters' wife. And what does Keith do around here? <laughs> a lot of stuff. He, he. I see him at home read and type. If you ask the girls and I what he does, he reads and he types. Um, but here, he he writes the adult material and teaches the classes. He does music with the children's ministry. He writes um, a lot of their like curriculum the Vacation Bible School curriculum. And he preaches. He he preached last Sunday. uh, his exact terms I only did it for 50 minutes not an hour Tina Uh, (laughs) so let's hope um, I stick with my notes and don't wander um, and take 50 minutes but so the verse that I chose today um, to kind of connect with my life and what I do and where my heart is um, is Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And I kind of wonder if Isaiah ever looked back and went, why did I say that? Um, Because he didn't have an easy path and serving and worshiping the Lord is is not easy. Um, There are many, many struggles. And so, I love serving, and I started serving when I was young. At Sunday school, they said, invite a friend to church. I said, all right. Well, I went to a Lutheran school, so most of my friends were in church. So, I invited my neighbor, who lived across the street, and I invited her quite often, and the Holy Spirit definitely worked in her heart, um, because her and her family ended up attending um, a church near our home, and she was baptized Um, in high school, and her family, and now she's two little children, they all still attend church. So it's kind of neat to look back and see how God used a seed planted to continue to grow. I also loved um, singing in the nursing homes. This lady would come up and um, invite our Sunday school to come sing on Saturday mornings at the local nursing home. And I thought, yes, this is awesome. And so my dad would go around. um, I'm from southern Indiana. I'd go around the north side of Evansville and pick up all my friends. And we would go and we would sing in the nursing home. And I just thought that was fantastic. And as I got older and I was singing in, in church on Ascension Sunday, every Um, ascension sunday we would sing it only takes a spark and the last verse says i'll shout it from the mountaintop i want the world to know the lord of love has come to me i want to pass it on and i thought okay god i feel your calling i'm gonna do it send me um only, it's not easy, <laughs> as Isaiah soon found out. I skip skipped uh, many moons ahead. When I was in college, I studied theology and did a concentration in the deaconess program, which is works of mercy. And God placed me with my first call with voice of care, and I got the privilege of serving adults and children with special needs. Only I got, so I'm back in the nursing homes, I'm back in the group homes, and I'm getting to sing again and share God's word. And... Now, though, I get to, uh, to help lead, and so I have half the group, thumbs up. They want me to sing with them and you know, share, the, share God's word. The other half is glaring at me. They don't want to be there, and they verbally make it known. Um, and now I have to stand and lead, and you ask, how, did you, how do you do that? What do you do? You hold your breath, you keep praying, and you go through the motions, um, and God works through that. So I had um, a worker making it very known that um, she didn't want to be there. Management was making them sing and attend. And she didn't think that the individuals who had special needs would understand. Um, But boy, did they prove her wrong. A gentleman who is verbal, only she didn't take the time to listen. Um, When I turned the music on, he just like belted it out. And he just starts singing. And she goes... I went. Okay, thank you, God. Um, now she's hearing him. He's singing these these Christian songs, and they were answering questions. And Heidi holds up her picture and says, "Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you." And then she continues to say that as she walks up and down the halls. Um, so the staff got a great lesson that week and many more weeks to come. And it was not easy um, for many many weeks, but. I kept going back, I did not give up because I knew this is what God wanted, and um, many of the staff work so they don't get to go to church, so I got to bring church to them and as they got to know me, they started giving prayer requests and calling in prayer requests and um, leaving notes with the nurses because they knew the nurse would see me because their shift was over. so God was definitely planting seeds and opening up up their hearts um, and I got very close to a lot of those staff members which was a foundation into my next job with Bethesda. God still has me serving adults with special needs, which is awesome. Um, but I also get to work with the staff And as the st- in my second year, and as the staff have gotten to know me, um, they've given more prayer requests, and we've had a lot of mentoring sessions. And then all at once, um, at least seven of the staff members share with me that they're struggling with friends and family members that have been murdered. Now, this is a whole new area. So I was like, God, I need, I need the resources. What do I say? And he blessed me with an awesome chaplain um, who, sadly, his family had went through this experience. And so God continues to give me the resources that I need to serve him um, and his people in the community. And then there's also another area of life with children. How do you serve with children? Um, they just go with you. <laughs> you just bring them along. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, Rose she comes to work with me if you don't see me here on Sundays I'm usually working um, with the people we support at Bethesda getting them to church and working with their spiritual goals and And Rose will ask to go with me often she just went up to Camp Mots with me a camp for special needs she went to church with me in Montgomery last week at St. Luke's I'm getting um people to their church of choice and she just has the biggest heart she's so compassionate loving and caring and she has so much respect for all people and when we went to drop off some of the people that I support at their house she took her shoes off like I've taught her to do when you walk into someone's home this is their home it's their house and she took her shoes off and I remember myself and another staff member just just kind of stared at her at first and thought, that's beautiful. Like, she walked into their home, respected them, and took her shoes off. I had to get her to put her shoes back on because they happen to have wheelchairs in that home. And if the wheelchair runs over your foot, it hurts really bad. So we had to get her to put her shoes back on. But, um, but I just take her with me. She's in 4-H, and she had to bake And I said, you know, the staff members, they they struggle a lot. They're worn down. They're tired. Let's tell them thank you. And so she was all for baking cookies and delivering it to them. Um, So don't add to your plates. Just use what's already there um, to help your kids learn to to serve. Um, Emily, uh, rambunctious Emily, started serving when she was two. And at four, I used her to teach adults how to serve. Um, We went to a group home for children who have special needs. And... It can be overwhelming to see so many children in wheelchairs all at one time, and many adults are scared just because of the unknown, but Emily has grown up going to Walter Lawson. She thinks nothing of it, so she jumps in. She's holding their hands. She's touching their face. She's smiling at them. She's skipping around the circle. Um, She has lots of energy, and I'll say, Emily, I'm going to read the story. You hold up the picture. Okay, so she holds up the picture. She slowly goes to everyone, but I have a picture Bible, too. So when I turn the page, she runs over to see my picture, and then she goes back to serving. She was four, so she goes back and forth. Dobby's hand is really tight, and she shoves her hand in it, so he's holding her hand, and she stares at him. And he stares at her, and she stands there for three minutes, which is a very long time for a four-year-old. And the adult's faces are priceless. I might have been reading the lesson, but Emily was doing the teaching. Um, So you never know how God is going to use children, which is my other verse for you. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to. And so... You never know what God has in store for your kids. Um, You might say, Jana, you're in church work. That's not fair. You have lots of opportunities to take your kids. But you do too. Even if you work in an office, bake with your kids. Write a Bible verse or encouraging message and take it to work with you. Um, Be creative with whatever your job is. Or walk next door and brush off the cobwebs from a neighbor's house. Um, You don't have to drive far. But I'm sure my serving adventures are not over, and I'm sure God has more in store. And I am just personally thankful for uh, the resources that he gives me as he um, gives us all that foundation and the resources we need to serve his people.
3: Thank you, Thank you Julie and Jana. Um, so you've gotten to meet Julie and Jana for just a few minutes today. I know them a lot better, and let me just tell you, these are amazing women. Go out of your way to get to know them, because they are two of my favorite people in the whole world, really. Thank you guys so much. Um, Good morning. My name is Tina, and I'm the pastor's wife. Um, Today, I want to start off with a story about Dave. (laughs) I don't actually have a story, but I just want him to experience the curiosity laced with fear every time he talks about me. (laughs) Um, no, today I want to tell you about a story that, when I was bored with God. So a few years ago, you know, going about life and just utterly bored with God. Life is just dull, stale. And I quickly realized that it's not that God is boring, it's that there's something wrong on my end. So I decided that I'm going to start reading the Bible regularly. And, you know, if you're going to read the Bible, I guess you should read the New Testament. And and I guess it should be about Jesus. And that just sounded horrible. I mean, I know God is the creator of the universe and that Jesus died for my sins. And that's incredible. But I've heard it so many times. I was just bored. Been there. Done that. And so I put a challenge to God. I said, God, if the Bible is your inspired word... Show up in something awful. So I went on a quest to find the most awful thing in the Bible that I could read. For me at the time, it was Old Testament. What's the worst thing in the Old Testament? Prophets. What's the worst prophet? Isaiah. 66 chapters of doom and gloom, right? So I started reading through Isaiah. Challenging God. Are you going to show up? In chapter 3... Isaiah writes, the daughters of Zion are haughty. Now, haughty means they exalt themselves. They they have pride about themselves. Not pride in God, but pride in themselves. And Isaiah says, God is going to come and he's going to remove all of this. And so, he talks about God coming in and he's removing their beauty and their perfume and everything that they are proud of. And after all of that is left, is gone, all that's left is stench and baldness and shame. And I'm reading Isaiah, like, I get that. I get that. The gates of Zion will lament and mourn. Destitute, she will sit on the ground. Man, that resonated with me. I I sit on the ground all the time and just like, I'll just sit here. I don't know what else to do. I'll just sit here. Um, I grew up in a small town in Indiana, um, part of a very conservative church. We were a branch off the Mennonites. Um, You could say that we are cousins to the Amish. And so, very conservative in practice, in that men and women sat on opposite sides of the church. The women all wear dresses, they wear head coverings. Um, But also, very conservative in their beliefs and their practices. It was very Patriarchal. And um, one of the things that I really learned there was my role as a woman is to serve and submit. And uh, we we would actually have lunch every Sunday, and the women all served. Um, Another example was uh, my mom and dad were having a hard time in their marriage. And so they went to one of the ministers for counseling. And even though my dad was emotionally abusive, even though my dad was occasionally physically abusive, my mom was told to submit to him because he's the head of the household. Um, Another time when Dave and I were dating, he was teaching me some martial arts. And um, so, you know, like I'm punching, I could think the word bruise and I would get a bruise. And so as I'm punching at Dave. He's blocking. I have bruises all up and down my arms, my legs. And uh, my grandma comes over. Now, Dave says this is the first time he met her. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. But I say to my grandma, I say, look what Dave's done to me. <laughs> I know, not the best move on my side. But my grandma responds, surely you've done something to deserve that. Okay. The bigger mind blow is that that didn't even seem weird to me. I, I wasn't, it wasn't until later when Dave was talking about it that it even occurred to me that that thinking was wrong. Okay, so this is, this is how I grew up thinking about women, thinking about myself. Um, I definitely learned many wonderful things at this church about family and God, but this is the one area that they really screwed up, and that as much as I don't like it, I've carried that into my adulthood. Um, I want to go back to Isaiah. All right, so I'm reading through Isaiah. I'm challenging God show up. Um, there's a lot of woe to the nations in Isaiah. There's a lot of doom and gloom. And, and, and Isaiah and I, we're grooving. I get this. I like woe to the nation. But then I come across a passage in Isaiah 52 And it says, shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Wait, God, I thought I was supposed to sit in the dust, and now you're telling me to rise up, shake the dust off. Hey, God show up? He showed up. I read later in Isaiah, no longer will they call you deserted or forsaken, but you will be called my delight. For the Lord will take delight in you, and as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. God is showing up again in ways that I didn't expect. And I tell you what, I can tell you this in my head, but my heart doesn't get that. And it took years of wrestling with God, I mean, I'm still wrestling with God, of how to accept being delighted in. So my confession today, since we're talking about confessions, is that there are days, there are weeks, there are months that I sit in the dust. That I sit on the ground, and I like the dust. I know how to be in the dust. I revel in the dust. And you know what? That's okay. Because God comes, and he sits with the dust. Sits in the dust with me. And I know that God loves me even though I'm in the dust. And it's because Jesus has died for me. And the things that I couldn't do myself, God has reconciled for me. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing the same story that before Isaiah just bored me to tears. Now it's like my life breath. So, confession I sit in the dust. God sits with me and he says, I delight in you even while you're in the dust. Not when you're better. Not when you've done something to deserve my delight. I delight in you now. And that's what I've learned by going through Isaiah.
0: <laughs> I think if you get to know any of these women more, Or any of their spouses, you realize it's just the tip of an iceberg. And guys, I want to thank you again for coming up and just putting your hearts on the line like this. And And I think all of our hopes is that in some way, our story, their story connects with your story. And in the middle, of course, God is there. So I want to invite you to rise. Ladies, thank you again. And um, as the band comes forward, would you just take a moment and, and would you pray with me? God in heaven, uh, we, we come here, regardless of where we get our paycheck, regardless of who we're married to, regardless if we're in professional church work or attend on a Sunday and we come we come broken. We come with struggles, we come with issues, we come with temptation and sin and baggage and needs and cries of the heart and disappointment. and Thank you, God, that we can be angry. Angry at you and you don't run away. Thank you, God, that we can I think we're following a life call and a life path, and when it surprises us that you're in the details, we, we thank you that when serving is hard and brutal and unforgiving, that your spirit works. We thank you, God, that when we sit in the dust, defeated and resigned and depressed. You sit with us and you delight in us for who we are and not who we should be. Lord God, thank you. By your spirit, in the name of of your son, Jesus, here today we pray.